Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about mysticism and mental health. You know, historically the church, the quote-unquote the church, uh, that has meant different things down through the centuries, but we're talking about the history of the church that has minimized the frequency and validity of mystical experiences, especially when those experiences downloaded different were different uh, than that, those, that information that was put forth by the church. And since Sigmund Freud associated mystical experiences with narcissism, wishful thinking, and delusion, the mental health world has mostly steered clear of any associations with these experiences. But more recently, there have been rigorous studies done, and it has been learned that these experiences are common and frequent and grounding. Research has also found that mystical experiences offer certain mental health benefits to the persons who have these experiences. Researchers have also developed tools for measuring these experiences and differentiating them from states of psychosis, which used to be the way that we looked at all mystical experiences. So the question is, can we now finally begin to validate our own experiences to the point of living into them? Stay here for this important discussion. So let's talk first about uh, what a mystical experience is. A mystical experience is an experience of the divine or of uh, a, a deep meaning of life that has a mysterious element to it and can't be explained in logical terms. Uh, but it can, but it's very powerful and profound and very often life-changing. That's what a mystical experience is. And uh, we, we, we also need to define the differences between spiritual, uh, religious, and, and spiritual abuse because... We don't want to just assume that every experience has the same quality of life, the, uh, the same ability to, to create a profound life-changing experience. We don't want to assume that every time somebody says, God told me, that they're not in a psychotic state. We certainly have had serial killers, in fact, who said God told them to do what they did. So we don't want to assume that every experience is, is valid. Um, so, so we have to talk a little bit about the di- distinctions here between those three things, spirituality, religion, and spiritual abuse. So what is spirituality? Spirituality is the ability to con- make connection to a higher power or a deeper philosophy that creates deep meaning in life and um, offers a profundity to life that, uh, that, that means life becomes much more uh, full of uh, what I would call divine energy, but other people might ca- call just meaningfulness. Um, so that's what spirituality is. It doesn't matter what the religion is. People can be very religious and not spiritual, and people can be very spiritual and not religious. But it's also possible that people can be religious and spiritual at the same time. So, uh, so we want to really make that real clear. Religion is all about the organization Religion is about the dogma that is put forth by an organization and is agreed to by all the members of that uh, particular organization 
and that is the that is the sum total of the religious experience. This is what we agree to. This is what we're all doing. And whether they're actually literally doing that or not, they've at least made uh, a perfunctory uh, message that they agree with this thing. In some churches, there's a recitation of a creed every week in church, um, in, in actually in the Christian church. There's a recitation of the creed, of a creed, and that recitation is tacit agreement that the per- parishioner or the participant agrees to the religious dogma that is put forth in that creed. Um, so uh, baptism is kind of an agreement that you agree with what we say in this church. Um, and, and, you know, that's just the Christian church. There are other ways that there are that, that people make agreements with other religions, the Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion, the uh, Islam. You know, there's other agreements that are made there. But what the basic tenet is, is that we all believe the same thing and we're all trying to do the same thing. And so that is this that is defines the group. Now, some religions go so far as to say that their religion is the only religion that is of God, and all other religions are false or are of the devil, and um, some don't. So it just depends on the religions, uh, what the creed, what the dogma is. Uh, so, but it's but it, that in and of itself does not necessarily describe spirituality. One of the things that Jesus said to the Samaritan woman was that there, there will come a time, and now is, when people will worship in spirit and in truth. And what he was referring to was the fact that now, in his present time, people worshiped in a specific place. And we still do that quite often. That place is very important. The church, the temple, the mosque, certain places on the globe are more spiritual and more sacred than others and considered to be high uh, sacred places and um, so those places are places of deep worship. Uh, and, and so there's a, there is some belief for some people that the place is where you go to worship. On the other hand, uh, what Jesus was saying was that it wasn't going to be the place so much as it would be the truth of it. And, and, um, and that they would worship in, in, in that truth. And so... Uh, that's what that's I think more about spirituality than it is about religion. I think what Jesus was saying was, I'm, I prefer spirituality to religion. It's o- obvious that one of the things that he was saying was that what the Pharisees thought was religion wasn't his religion because he went up against them over and over and over again in his short tenure. Um, so there is a there is a dis- clear distinction that needs to be made between spirituality and religion in order for us to discuss mysticism and mental health. The other thing that has to be discussed is spiritual abuse. So spiritual abuse is abuse of the human spirit. And what that means is that my human spirit is inside me. And if, if, if my uh, external authorities teach me that going inside me is a mistake, then I'm not going to be able to access my inner spirit. And that is spiritual abuse. So one of the things that Jesus said about the Pharisees was that their ultimate sin was in keeping people from entering the kingdom of heaven. And where did he say the kingdom of heaven was? He said it was within. So uh, what he was saying was that the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the time and were highly uh, thought of very highly, those people were were misleading people and they were teaching them 
that they should not go within, that they should only obey the external rules. And he also accused them later of washing the outside of the cup instead of the inside of the cup. Again, external rules instead of internal, being internal. There's a place in Jeremiah where he talks about um, uh, uh, the law written, being written on uh, the hearts of the people. And that, that's an internal uh, aspect. And so, uh, now, I'm just referring to Jesus right here and not necessarily to other religions, but it's also true in other religions, in Islam and in uh, Hinduism and in, uh, in Buddhism, that the inner world is very, very important. Very, uh, that's how they access the spirit. And uh, the people that in the, in the Hindu faith who have these ecstatic experiences are having a mystical experience. And they are, uh, they are uh, rejoicing in that connection to the divine that they feel in whatever they call the divine or whatever their particular God is in that religion. So, um, so w- w- when we talk about spiritual abuse, what we're saying is that it is possible to deny someone access to their internal self. They don't get to go within and find their own spirit. They don't get to go within and connect that spirit to the divine spirit. They don't get to do that because they're being misled by an external authority. And here in America, we often hear that people say the spirit, uh, leaders of the, of the church very, will commonly say that when a person is listening to his inner self, he might be listening to the whisperings of the devil. So that's very misleading. So what that says is you can't trust your inner self. Listen to me. I'm the external leader. I'm the authority. I know what's right and what's wrong. And you need to just do what I say. The interpretation of the Bible that I have is the correct interpretation. And that's what you need to listen to. And that is not terribly uncommon today in today's American uh, churches. So, So that is spiritual abuse when a person is robbed of the access to their own spirit. And that can also happen in accompaniment with other forms of abuse, like physical abuse and sexual abuse and emotional abuse. I've heard of people being terribly beaten while the parent was quoting Bible verses. Um, Then forever after that, the person makes the association. Every time he hears something spiritual, he makes the association with getting beaten so that he's not able to access his own inner spirit. And, uh, you know, so the same thing can be true of sexual abuse or emotional abuse where there's trickery and, and, uh, and, and rape and things like that that cause a person to, to not want to be present with their internal self. And that, that is also a form of spiritual abuse. So we need to be clear that it is possible to be misled about what's going on uh, with your own spirit. And... And so I, I really I want to reiterate that we want to say that it is possible for people to say that they've heard from God, or they've heard the voice of God or gods or a God that tells them to do something like kill someone. And of course, that's not the voice of God at all. It's, uh, uh, they may be in a state of psychosis or they may be having delusions or hallucinations, but that is not a myst- mystical experience. So I want to make that real clear. The difference that what that that uh, researchers have found in uh, between psychosis and mysticism is that when somebody has a mystical experience, they have more coherence and clarity and peace after the experience. 
whereas the person who's had a non-mystical psychotic experience has uh, more disassociation, more disparity between the various parts of self, more confusion, um, and, uh, and more misery after that, after that experience. So uh, that's one of the ways that they can find it through research. And, you know, research is limited to empirical data, so there's, there's limits to what research can tell us. But that's what they've told us thus far. Um, okay, so so what are the mental health benefits of of uh, mystical experience? Well, one of the things that they've researched is that the greatest successes in terms of dealing with mental health issues has not been to uh, psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors. They haven't had the greatest successes compared to this other group. The other group that has had the greatest successes is shamans, priests, leaders of sex, wonder workers, confessors, and spiritual guides of earlier times. So I'm saying that as a counselor, that there is a limit to what I can do as a counselor because, uh, because I'm a counselor. <laughs> but as a shaman or a priest or a leader of a sect, I might be able to have greater greater influence over a person, not in terms of controlling them, of course, but in terms of uh, of being able to really do some real healing work uh, like Reiki or other things like that. So, um, so you know, those are the, the things, that's something important for us to understand is that the research is, so far has shown that there's greater success in the spiritual field than in the, the psychological field. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we can't find a way to combine the two and, and really do real justice to our clients. And I think that's one of the things that Carl Jung was very successful at, was combining spirituality with psychology in a way that, that really did enhance the person and help the person go to find what he called self with a capital S. And uh, he was able to allow people to find that access through all kinds of things like drawing mandalas, and, uh, you know, uh, working with the, their internal spirit, you know, look, working with the images that come up in dreams, those kinds of things, instead of just um, doing the regular talk therapy. He, he did some other things besides just that. So, um, so when we talk about uh, what is uh, a, meta, a mystical experience, one of the things that first comes to mind is Paul's experience. Um, uh, the, on the road to Damascus, he was blinded, and he and from the blindedness, he was able to see visions that changed him profoundly, and that would be called a, a mystical experience. Uh, people have meditational experiences that uh, that change them. I know even in my own experience with meditation, and I am not an expert meditator, but I've had considerable experience with uh, meditation over the years, and what I have discovered is that I can have deep, uh, powerful, peaceful experiences, and when I just sit with those experiences, what ha- what happens very often is there is a download of information that I get that tells me more about what's really true. I think in the world and what's not so true. Uh, what my beliefs have changed dramatically. Once upon a time, I was uh, a very strong, avid member of the Christian Church. And I am, I, I now have, a, uh, my beliefs are different from that. 
from the very fundamentalistic traditional beliefs there. Um, and I uh, have become much more inclusive in my beliefs and have studied other religions and have un- understood things from a different level. And that all started with some meditational experiences. People talk about uh, experiences of unity. What they mean by that is experience, an experience of oneness, where they experience all of, all of nature, all of the world, all of the universe, and their, and their connection to the divine is one. They are, they are one with everything and everyone and, and, and with the divine. And that experience defines mystical experiences across the various religions. You know, in the one of the mistakes that I think some churches make, some religions make, is to declare their religion to be the one true religion. And um, uh, very often within the Christian church, the born again experience is considered to only happen to uh, to Christians. But that same kind of experience, where there's ecstatic joy or deep, profound peace. Um, comes to people of all religions all over the world. So it's not just about being born again. It's about being connected to the divine in some kind of way. And so, uh, you know, we need to be careful about trying to define these experiences according to what we already know instead of letting the experiences define themselves to us. And that's what I mean by that download. When we have that download, what's happening is we're, we're, we're actually having an experience and letting the experience inform us as to what's really going on with that experience. And so we don't try to grab hold of it and push, define it in some kind of externalized form that makes sense to the, to the world we already knew before we had that experience. We don't need to do that. And that's actually one of the dangers that some people want to do is they want to define that experience as this is what that was. It fits into this paradigm that I already had. And therefore, that's what it means, instead of letting the experience just tell us itself what it means. There's also a lot of mystery around these experiences. It can't necessarily be fit into a logical order. It can't necessarily be fit into logical terms. So uh, the mystery is that we don't necessarily understand exactly how it's happening, but it's definitely happening. We know that it's happening, and and it's very rich and very real. Um, so, uh, when, when people have these experiences, like I said, they very often experience that feeling of unification with the universe and with God or the divine, however they see God. And, uh, uh so that experience is one of the defining characteristics of a, of a mystical or uh, experience. It, it is clarifying. It yields coherence, clarity, and peace. And, uh, and what has been discovered, and we'll talk about this just a little briefly, a little bit more after we have the break, is that there are definite neurological reactions observed with mystical meditation. And we'll talk about that right after the break. Stay here for more. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Want to learn how to remember your future? Introducing a brand new listening experience. The Whole in One. Life stories of love, wisdom, and truth with your host and guide, Sheila E. Herein from Ireland. 
Join Sheila on this amazing journey of discovery as she interviews a menagerie of specially selected guests to help you to change the narrative of your life. It only takes one day to change your life. Tune in to Whole and One with Sheila Ihirai every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time on your Voice America Empowerment Channel and learn how to tell yourself that different story. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about mysticism and mental health and the effects that it has on mental health. And what we've said thus far is there's a clear distinction between spirituality, religion, and spiritual abuse. So that we can't always say that every experience it can be classified as mystical when it doesn't end up with the results that a mystical experience ends up with. Mystical experiences end up with a, a sense of oneness, very commonly, a definite coherence, coherence, a clarity, and a peace. And what we said just before the break is that there are definite neurological reactions observed with mystical meditation. So that when people have a mystical experience during their meditation, what, what can be seen in the brain is, uh, is are changes that are positive in the brain that, uh, that let us know that something really good is happening and it's, uh, and it's, and it's helping the person. So, uh, so we can't say, like I said, we can't say that anybody who just says, well, I talked to God and God told me, that means that they've had a mystical experience. That is not true. Uh, we do have to be discerning about these things. And, and uh, so we, we know that some people have been spiritually abused and yet are very hyper-religious and they haven't made the connection to the inner world and therefore they are mistaken about the experiences that they have and they misjudge them. And it's also very common for people to put a mystical experience into an already defined paradigm and therefore misunderstand the mystical experience. And so we, we have to be careful about those kinds of things. But, but it is possible in a mystical experience to feel that God has spoken to you or the divine has spoken to you. Um, uh, so uh, people just describe very peaceful connections to the divine and they just kind of know that this is a conversation they're having with the divine. People talk about um, sitting down and opening themselves to the divine and uh, Therefore, being able to write from the divine, uh, Donald Walsh, his book's conversation with God was that very thing. He he wrote from the divine to himself, and um, those are mystical experiences, very powerful mystical experiences, and we all benefited, of course, from his work. 
people can have visions. Um, I remember one time I had a vision. I was sitting on the beach, and uh, I was kind of resting and relaxing on the beach, and suddenly I was in this other place mentally uh, and spiritually. I was just kind of in this new place, and uh, this woman came down in this long, sparkly blue uh, ornamental dress, and uh, she spoke to me, and she told me some things about my life that I needed to know and uh, told me what things that I could sort of shut out of my life that I needed to shut out that were pretty toxic for me. And so that was a very healing experience, and I refer back to that experience again and again to, for information about which direction to go in my life. Um, so people can have visions. Uh, and 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 see and hear things. I I know some people who actually hear uh, people from the other side talking to them. Those are mediums. They have experiences like that. I know people who dream about encountering people from the other side. That uh, I've heard of one experience where someone came to the edge of an of, of a place where she could walk to, and she could not walk any further in her dream. And then this big white light came up to her and she could see the face of somebody that she loved that, that had passed on. And, and she was asked in that dream to tell family members about what she heard. And she did. And it was healing to the family members. So these are definite experiences that we can have that are very profound and healing. And after these experiences, we're more grounded to planet Earth. We're not dissociating. We're not uh, split off from, from unconscious parts of ourselves. We're more whole, we're more complete, we're more grounded, and therefore our mental health is enhanced because we've had these uh, spiritual experiences. Spontaneous healing is another example of, of people. I had a time in my life when I had a, a, a squamous cell cancer on my nose, and they were going to operate on it within a few weeks, and um, I gave it Reiki over those few weeks, and when we got into surgery, they did the surgery, and then they came out and told me there was no cancer, though they had found cancer earlier. So spontaneous healings can happen. Uh, definitely people can have reported many more profound uh, spontaneous healings than that, uh, where people are cured from leukemia or, um, or uh, uh, chronic digestive disorders or cancer, uh, you know, other things like that. And these spontaneous healings happen spontaneously, and um, they're referred to by medical doctors as spontaneous healings. And the, and the medical doctors usually use the medical model in determining what's going on with people, so they would not say that there's been a mystical experience, and very often would not say that there's been a miracle. But certainly there are, uh, there are those things are happening very frequently, and and being reported as spontaneous healing. And um, so these things uh, do happen and they are mystical and they're un oh, we can't logically explain what happened. We can't logically explain how cancer cells that were once there are not there anymore. We can't explain that. It's not logical. Um, but And it doesn't fit into the medical model. But it's happened. It's real. And so, you know, that's a mystical experience and it can be life-changing. Um, people talk about having spirit guides and that give them information not only about what's going on in their lives, but sometimes about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the lives of other people and what's going on in politics and what's going on in the, in the, 
you know, the climate change and earthquakes and things like that. They get information about that kind of stuff from spirit guides. And what is a spirit guide? Well, some people say that a spirit guide is is uh, uh, a deceased person who's come back to help. Um, some people say that they're angelic beings. Some people say that they have to do with karma. Um, so I'm not sure that we can define that in those kind, in any kind of definite terms. But these are these are definitely energies that come to talk to the people and give them information. People have had experiences with what they would call angels. Um, we certainly have seen those stories in some various sacred texts from around the world about various encounters with angels. And um, one of the first things that happens with these encounters is peace. The angels very commonly say, fear not, which is a way of saying, be at peace. And, um, and so I actually had an experience like that myself, um, although I wasn't talked to by this being. The being was very silent and just sat there. It was a woman holding a child, and it was just filled with this white light. So I was camping with my children, and I uh, was up in the mountains of North Carolina, and um, I was a little bit afraid because we were in a big campground with lots of strangers, and I didn't know whether or not we were actually safe. I was a single parent at that time and had two young children with me, and um and I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and that, the bathroom was not far from where we were, so I was going to walk down the trail to go to the bathroom. But instead, there was this being standing, sitting outside my tent holding a child, and both of them were just radiant with this white light. And I started being really skeptical because I tend to be skeptical, and I was looking all around for what you know, what that was, where the light was coming from. I thought it had to be a reflection of the moon or, you know, maybe somebody was shining, come with some kind of shine, bright light on it. And I was looking up at the sky trying to find it and there was no full moon and there was no bright light coming to make that. So finally, I just kind of settled down and said to myself that I needed to see what this was about. So I just got real quiet and stood there and looked at it. And it all of a sudden, I felt this great, enormous peace. And I had this assurance that everything was going to be okay with me and my kids. And that was that. Then I crawled back in my tent. And when I got back in the tent, I, I thought, uh, and I don't even remember today whether or not I went to the restroom. I can't remember that. But uh, I crawled back in the tent and I laid down and I thought, you know, that was an angel. I need to go back out there and talk to her because she has some information for me that I need. I got back out there and it was gone. And it had been steady being there for like 15 minutes before that. So that was an encounter I've never forgotten. And I painted a picture of it so that I would always remember it. And I do always remember it when I get worried about my kids or myself. Then I, I, I call that angel back up again and, and remember that experience. So these, these, experience, these mystical experiences cannot be explained. I cannot explain to you what happened that night. It was mysterious. But I know that I, I got some information that has been very helpful to me throughout my life. And um, so that's, a, that's another way we can have mystical experience. There's, there's the process of becoming one with God that is mystical in every place that we, we connect to that over time. That's a whole long linear or not necessarily linear cyclical kind of experience that we have 
that helps us to become one one with God or one with the divine. Uh, that process is known to many as divinization. We're becoming divine. And actually what the people who talk about this talk, say is that we are already divine on the inside, but because we ha- have begun to believe in duality, which, which is that theory that we are separated from the divine and separate from each other and all alone in the world, and we have to figure our way by ourselves, that, that theory is very prevalent in our psychology and in our society. And um, we, we tend to believe that more than we believe that we could possibly ever be divine. In fact, many people think that if you call yourself, you say you've got a part of you that's divine, that you're just being, uh, you're being blasphemous and uh, you're cursing God in some kind of way by comparing yourself to God. Some people will even say maybe you've got a Messiah complex and maybe you're a little bit crazy. Um, but uh, what the divinization believes is that uh, in each incarnation, uh, if, if you believe in re- reincarnation, in each incarnation, you get you gather and complete one thing that you need in order to become more divine. And then the next life you build on that, and then the next life you build on that, and the next life you build on that, till ultimately you become you fully become the divine spark. People call say we have a divine spark within us. Well, that spark grows and grows and grows and takes over more and more and more of your being until you become aware that you and God are one, or you and the divine are one. So that's one of the long-term sort of mystical experiences that people can have over many lifetimes. Um, and that's uh, it's spiritually, it's mystical, it's not religious. It, 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 it cannot be necessarily understood in terms that we can put our fingers on, but there's a transformation that's happening in that person's life over and over and over again. And that person is becoming more fully aware of, of the divine in him or her. Um, Another thing that happens through mysticism is a depersonalization of the divine. In other words, we stop making the divine into a person. We stop making the divine into an old man with a white beard who sits on a throne. We stop making the divine into having person characteristics like humans, like that he gets mad at us or that that he um, uh, uh, will punish us. Those are characteristics that humans have that 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 the divine doesn't necessarily have. And so we begin to depersonalize uh, the divine and he, he, he or she, it becomes more uh, of spirit, it becomes a, just a spirit instead of a, a person. Um, there's two different kinds of, according to research and uh, the, the research that I've done so far, is there's two different kinds of mystical experiences. One is an ecstatic experience of the transcendent that approaches absolute reality. It gives one a sense of wholeness, but it's ecstatic. It's filled with joy. The other kind is uh, it gives one a quiescent effect, the peace that, and emptiness of absolute ground of being, the nameless or no-thing God. So the, those two, it's, one of them gives joy and the other one gives peace. And both of them are equally mysterious and both of them are equally profound and both of them are equally life-changing, but they have different emotions attached to them. One gives joy, like I said, and the other gives peace. And uh, so uh, when, we, when we understand that, that, that there's different ways to have a mystical experience, 
we can stay with that and let it be what it is instead of trying to push it to be something other than what it is. One of the things that's really true and it's, and it's apparent in the times that we're living in now is that, it's, that when a society denies the mystical, uh, what can happen is that uh, we can fall into various forms of pathological pseudo-mysticism so that, uh, like, for example, today we see the ascendancy of nationalism, militarianism, fascism, um, technology, consumerism, fundamentalism, new ageism, ascetism, and psychologism. So basically what we're saying there is that uh, it's possible to, to uh, get confused about what a, what a mystical experience is. One of the things that's happened is today in today's society is a lot of fundamentalism, a lot of uh, traditional mindset that's very linear, very legalistic, and very narrow in its approach to the divine. And people are being judged as sinful, and people are saying that they, that they can prophesy that the reason we have in COVID, for example, is because there's too many gay people in the world, or the reason we're, that we had an earthquake is because of gay people or you know, gay people get the blame a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're calling out sinfulness in various ways and saying that we're being punished by the divine for our sinfulness. And these connections can't really be made, but they're, they're connecting dots that are really far apart. I mean, I can't figure out how COVID has anything to do with a person's affectational uh, approach to a relationship. Uh, there are many, uh, some groups that are, some mental health groups that are changing the term sexual orientation to affectional orientation because it's not just about people who have sex with people of the same sex. It's about people who fall in love with and establish enduring relationships with people of the same sex. So that's a piece that gets left out with all this thought about sin. Um, and, and so you know, there's a, they're connecting dots that don't really belong together. And so that rigid kind of compulsive need to kind of sh- show that there's a reason why these bad things are happening is not mysticism. It is pseudo-mysticism. And it's dangerous because it uh, means that some people might go try to kill some gay people because they might be causing COVID or might be causing some other problem in the world. Um, so... We have to be very, very careful in a society that denies the mystical. And we live, basically live in a society that basically denies the mystical. We're a little bit scared about that. And we're going to talk about that some more right after the break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Now or never means so much more today. Following and continuing these life-changing years faces us with a variety of choices. Are you going to move forward or are you staying put? Is it time to heal? The answers can be found on Now or Never, The Choice is Yours with host Karen Wright. Karen shares her stories along with those of her amazing guests who have found healing and enlightenment while moving along their life paths. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. 
Do you feel that you want more from your life but keep finding yourself in the same spot? It is time to break free from self-defeating patterns and limiting beliefs. Find out more by tuning in to Let's Talk About It with nationally recognized psychotherapist, Dr. Jamie Lacey. Learn to create healthy lifestyle choices so that you can be the best you. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about mysticism and mental health. And what we've discovered so far is that a true mystical experience can have a, 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 a good effect on mental health, that we, we come away from those experiences with more coherence, more clarity, and more peace. And that coherence means that we're more connected, we're more aligned, the brain, the mind, the, the, the heart, the body, the spirit, they're all connected, they're all aligned in the same direction, they're not you know, got your body going over here doing one thing and your mind going over here doing another and your spirit going over here doing another and your heart going over here doing another. You're not all split off from yourself. You're connected and aligned. And that, that experience is uh, profoundly uh, helpful to, to one's mental health. And what we said is that they can see um, actual neurological uh, reactions in the, in, in the, per, in the brain when somebody's having a mystical experience. So those things can be observed. And so that's a, a powerful effect on the human brain as well, now that we have that capacity. Um, but what we were saying just before the break is that it's possible that since we, have a, uh, we live in a society that just basically eschews the idea of mysticism, kind of makes fun of it, mocks it, you know, people that are, you know, we, we, uh, we heard while, Marianne Williamson was running for president. We heard a lot of real negative comments about some of the mystical approaches she has to things. And it's just, it's mocked a lot. It's just mocked. And so uh, uh, what happens is that the, the human mind does have a real need for the, the mysterious and the deep connection to the divine. We have a need for that. And if that's denied to us, what are we going to do with that? What what very often happens is people start connecting to superstitions. And we see now this real powerful big movement toward conspiracy theories. And I think that's a result of not having a real spiritual experience. We just make up a bunch of spirit, uh, conspiracy theories and attach to them because they confirm our fears. They confirm the real negative experiences in, in, that happen in mental health when we have anxiety about something. I know when I'm anxious, I can certainly make up a whole bunch of stuff that might, might happen that doesn't ever happen. And, uh, you know, when we're anxious, our, our mind tends to feed on those negative thoughts and we just kind of ruminate over and over again, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen with those negative thoughts. And 
when that when we do that, we can you know really mess with our mental health, and that I think is part of what's happening with with these conspiracy theories is that we're people don't have a definite experience of the divine that they can really rely on, and so they're relying on these conspiracy theories as a way of sort of protecting themselves from their deepest darkest fears, and that's a very opposite of a mystical experience, and uh, and so. You know, these are these are signs that we need more spirituality in our in our world. And I do think that COVID nineteen has been one of the things that is kind of offering people another uh, another look at spirituality, another chance to become more spiritual. Certainly, there have been lots and lots of prayers that have gone up for people that had COVID nineteen. Certainly, people are having to re rethink and realign themselves to something new and different lots of people are saying they're learning new things about themselves and discovering new aspects of self and other through this experience of COVID-19 lots of people are also depressed and it's and, and anxious and it's been difficult but that very depression and anxiety is often leading some people to discover deeper aspects of themselves and even to have more mystical experiences and to become more aligned with divine um, so we're in a time of that's very interesting where it's possible for our society to grow into a, uh, a new kind of society where we understand mysticism and, and respect it. And certainly science is beginning to respect it as they've done these, this research on, on mystical experiences. And, um, and, and in my field as, as a counselor and in the nursing field and in psycholo- psychological field, social work field, there are many people, I mean, there are many uh, people telling us that we need to develop a a multicultural approach to uh, how we interact with our clients so that uh, when a person comes from a different religion, which is a culture in itself, uh, we need to be able to understand as much as we can about that religion or at least to not be offensive to the person who has that religion, and and to be able to learn something from the client, from the patient, about his or her religion and how that works for them. And in that process, what often happens is people reveal having had mystical experiences. Um, I certainly have worked with some clients who've had some very powerful mystical experiences. And um, since I've had a couple of them myself, I'm are very open to receiving that information from my clients and to ask them to use that as an experience that they can use as a resource to develop resilience. And uh, we talked another time about um, resilience and spirituality and how that affected, how spirituality can affect resilience. Um, and now we're talking about mysticism as a deeper aspect of spirituality and how that affects mental health. Um, but we, I don't want to talk today about techniques so much because Meister Eckhart, uh, you know, uh, if you haven't studied anything about Meister Eckhart, I refer you to him for some great information about this wonderful mystical man. Uh, he's known by some as the man from whom God hid nothing. Uh, it's a powerful thing to say about, uh, about one human being. But he says that when we, when we learn a technique, we learn the technique, but we and when we get the technique, but we don't, we don't necessarily get God. We miss God. And I think there's some truth to that. I certainly have uh, uh, heard of and talked to people who spent 
hours and hours in meditation trying to get their mind to shut down and trying to get themselves to to be in a place where they were quiet enough to hear their own soul talking or to hear the divine talking to them and nothing ever worked and they struggled and it was very very hard and they made themselves sit and do meditation every day or a couple of times a day and it just never worked and it was so hard it was so difficult and then finally they just sat and and said i'm open and i'm i'm here and i'm just going to sit and what happened was the divine began to reveal itself to them or they began to have more mystical experiences and um so technique can can you know we can be all caught up in the technique of how you're supposed to sit and how you're supposed to hold your back very straight and how you're supposed to hold your hands a certain way and you're supposed to say om and you're you know there's certain ways that we're supposed to do that and i i want to say that we have to be real careful about doing that because we can get so caught up in the technique that we lose the divine and um I totally agree with Meister Eckhart. I've known of people who paint houses for a living who call that a mystical experience because when they're in the rhythm of the painting, they just lose themselves for a little bit and they're just lost in that that in the rhythm of the painting so that they can then be able to have a deeper experience of, of, of the self or of the divine. And I have a, a, a dear friend who plays the piano for his meditation uh, he, he, he says that that is his form of meditation and I can totally see that I mean that makes complete sense that you're all caught up in the music and the rhythm and the power of the music itself and, and you're the one producing the music and it, and it can have this powerful moving deep effect so you, you're all of a sudden in the transcendent world instead of in the everyday earthly understanding of life so those are completely understandable uh, ways of meditating. Um, some people meditate just before they go to sleep, and that helps not only helps them sleep, but it also helps them connect to, to a higher power before they sleep. Some people meditate in the morning. Some people meditate twice a day. There are people who say that we should try to meditate for longer and longer periods of time. I don't know whether I agree with that or not. I'm open to the possibility, but I don't know whether I agree with that or not because I don't want to be caught up in the technique. I want to be caught up in the power of the mystical experience itself. And so, uh, you know, so what what does mystical experience give us? Well, it gives us a powerful sense of mystery. Which, uh, which a lot of people are afraid of. I think one of the reasons we have fundamentalistic religions is because people are afraid of mystery. They don't want there to be any mystery. They want to know this is who the divine is, this is how I should worship the divine, this is right and this is wrong, and this is my path for life, and I don't have to think about anything else. It's already laid out for me and my religion. And that makes it easy to just be very fundamentalistic and legalistic and, and uh, lose any sense of spirituality completely. Um, but, myst- but mystery is, is powerful in and of itself. I remember going to a restaurant with a friend who, who I dearly love, who uh, kind of jabbed at me a little bit for wearing black that day. I was wearing a black top with black pants, and I liked the color black. And, and she said something about, she said something about my wearing black, and then she uh, I said something back, and then she said, "Well, I think that that means that you're that you're 
that there's evil afoot or something to that degree. And I said, well, I think black informs me of the mystery. I think black allows me to have mystery and uh, allows me to connect to mystery. I think of the blackness of, of what's outside planet Earth, what uh, outer space is outside of planet Earth. And it's very black, but it's very mysterious. And there's not any, any, even any air, and it's very quiet. And so there's a mystery there. What holds the universe together? How can we be hanging here in this, in this world, in this world without falling? I mean, I know that there's gravity, and I know that science can explain some of that, but I, so, but I don't know of that. Where does the wind come from? Science can explain some of that, but I can't. One of the things that Jesus said was that our experiences of being born again would be about that mystery, that it's, it can't be explained. Uh, so what he was saying was these mystical experiences can't necessarily be explained, but they happen, and they're real. Um, he also talked about that when he talked about the kingdom of heaven. He's talked about how, you know, there's a mystery there that that nobody knows why the tree grows, but it grows. Why the mustard seed turns into a tree, but it does. Um, these are mysteries that we can't explain. And so we need to be able to be willing to sit with mystery and not try to change it into a fact, not try to change it into a dogma, not try to change it into a creed. We just need to be able to sit with the mystery and allow it to be. And in that sitting, we might just have a mystical experience. And uh, so being, being open to the, the, the power and the influence of the divine in just sitting is a way of connecting to a deeper spirituality. And the people that do that are happier. They're more, they have greater coherence in their life. There's greater clarity about what they what they really think is true and what's false. There's peace. There's greater peace for them. They live um, lives that are both passionate and compassionate for other people. Um, they know they do take care of themselves. And um, you know, there's a lot out there right now about empaths who don't take care of themselves. Well, when somebody has a mystical experience, it's possible that they begin at that point to take good care of themselves because not only have they connected to the divine, but they've connected to the deeper self and they have a deeper respect for that. And, um, and so there's a change in behavior relative to that that's, that's um, demonstrative of good mental health. And so uh, what basically what we're saying today is that Yes, it's possible to have an experience where you that's a psychotic experience that pretends to be uh, a mystical experience, but it's also very possible to have a life-changing, coherent, clarifying, and peaceful experience that uh, gives us a greater mental health, and being open to that possibility uh, is mental health enhancing. The research mentioned under fair use in today's show was gathered from a journal article by George Drazinovich and Celia Curry, similarly entitled Mysticism and Mental Health, A Critical Dialogue, published in 2010 by HTS Theologies, Studies, or Theological Studies. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 